course, we got together today as we do every week for the portion of Torah and Tib for Kisisa. And we'll do the Sikhs as we usually do from uh, chapter, from volume 16. We'll do today the Sikha a little bit of Kisisa 3 and 4. But before we start about the Parsha, today is also a very significant special day because it's Purim Katan. Actually, today was Purim Katan, meaning the small Purim. And tonight is Shushan Purim Katan. Uh, as you know, this year is a uh, leap year, Shanamu Beret. And therefore, we have two Adars. We have Adar Rishon and Adar Sheni. So while the celebration of Purim takes place on the uh, second Adar, uh, an Adar Sheni, and as the Talmud reasons, because... Uh, we wanted to have the two redemptions next to each other on Nisan, on Pesach. We uh, celebrate, uh, on Pesach we celebrate uh, redemption of the exodus of Egypt. So on, uh, uh, on Purim we celebrate the exodus from Haman. So therefore... Uh, we want to have them together. But as far as the uh, Adors itself, so on Purim Katan, uh, we don't say Tachanun today, we didn't say Tachanun. We won't say Tachanun tomorrow. And uh, this is uh, a somewhat of a holiday. Now, in a way, we call it Purim Katan, uh, small. Now, we say Zeha uh, Katan, Gadol yeah. This katan will be a big one. So while we're starting, who's there on Chayana? Is this Chayana's grandson over there? Grandchildren? Hi from Florida. Hi. So nice to see everybody. You enjoying the warm weather, huh? It's better than Toronto over there. Okay, I don't hear them, but they, they thumbs up. Yeah, okay. And your new, your grandmother's beautiful, big new house, huh? Okay, in any event, where's, where's Grandma? Uh, she's beautiful. Oh, here, there, I see her. Oh, okay. Together with the grandchildren. Nice. All right, any, in any event, uh, you know, sometimes when you have a guest that comes every Shabbos, it's not so exciting. You see them every week. But then if you have a guest that comes only once in a while, so then you get really excited. So Purim, the regular Purim, we have 19 times in the cycle. Every 19 years, we have 19 times Purim, but we only have seven Purim Katans. So in a way, when Purim Katan, because it's an <coughs> infrequent guest, the excitement is even greater. So I wanted to uh, talk a little bit uh, about Purim Katan, just for a minute, and... Um, it's also 30 days before the regular Purim, so we normally, on a regular year, uh, we don't prepare for a regular Purim. We don't have any special day to mark, like the 15th day, the 14th day of Shvat. Uh, although we have Tu Bishvat, uh, so you can have Tu Bishvat is almost 30 days uh, before Purim, but we don't talk about Purim yet so much. I guess it's still cold and wintry. But Purim Katan already, you know, gets us in the mood. It's a little getting us ready to Purim. 
the excitement, the preparations, everything that uh, we look forward to celebrating the holiday of Purim. I want to just tell you, we'll give over, you know, this I heard it, the Rebbe himself relating. Uh, this goes back in the town, times, you know, you see now what's going on, Russia and the Ukraine, and you see some of the, uh, the attitudes, and uh, they say you can't change the uh, uh, certain uh, natures, and uh, while uh, there's been a tremendous improvement, you know, in the Soviet Union in the last, you know, couple of, uh, last, you know, 30 years or so, uh, it's been a tremendous improvement, but, you know, they can't really shake it off. And now we're finding, you know, the behavior, you know, with Ukraine and everything else. But the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, he lived together with a lot of the Hasidim, the Chabad Hasidim. They lived in Russia. And in the 1920s especially, it was very, very difficult. It was after the revolution and under Stalin and all of his henchmen over there. It was a very difficult time. So the previous Rebbe happened to be on Purim Katan. That year it was a Nibir year. We're talking about in 1927. This is in Tafresh Pei Zion. So the uh, previous Rebbe happened to be in Moscow. And Moscow was the uh, the big, uh, still today also, it's uh, the big city and the uh, Hasidic shul in Moscow was actually the, lar- the largest shul of Moscow, was the Hasidic shul over there. Uh, the Rebbe came in for a visit to Moscow, uh, to uh, Moscow, so they invited over him, they set up for the Rebbe to speak in the shul, to give over a, uh, a mimer, to give over a discourse for the attendants, they invited the people to come. So shortly thereafter, uh, you know, they gave out uh, an announcement that the previous Rebbe will reciting. So the police sent uh, a message to uh, the people in the shul, the attendants of the shul, that they should know that in addition to all the guests of the Hasidim that will be there, there's also going to be uh, police disguised. So there's going to be uh, a hidden policemen over there, uh, and that the Rebbe should make sure not to say anything to enrage and to get the uh, government to say things that are against the government. So when they told it to the um, they told it to the attendant of the shul, the president, whoever it was, he said to the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, look, you see what we're up against, and if you don't listen to them. So then not only you'll get yourself into trouble, you get your Hasidim into trouble, but you'll get us all into trouble. So Larebi, please keep your tone, tone down. He asked him to keep it in a way so not to enrage, not to get anybody upset. So, okay. So Larebi listened and didn't say. And anyways, Larebi gave a very, very sharp talk. And Larebi based himself on the verse. It says that from the mouth, he quoted the Tehillim, it says, that the strength the Jewish people get is from the mouth of the young children. That gives the Jewish people the strength. We know that one of the things that the Russian government was very much against was Jewish education. Uh, They were trying to do whatever they can to um, 
uproot. Uh, there is one thing about uproot Jewish education. They came to terms, the older people, they want to go to shul, they want to practice their religion. That's not something that really bothered them a lot. But they were really bothered by the fact that the children should not continue. And they realized if there's not going to be the children, if the children won't follow in the footsteps, so then eventually, uh, you know, they will succeed in erasing and, um, you know, obliterating Judaism. And the Rebbe fought against that. And the Rebbe said that this is something which uh, is most important to us, the most important weapon and tool that we have to fight against the enemies, against all that are trying to destroy us, all those who are trying to make it difficult for us. The tool that we can use is to have Jewish children learn Torah and do it. This is just like he says, Mordechai HaTzadik. He gathered the 24,000 students and they were all learning and saying the Pesukim and davening, and that actually eventually brought about the miraculous uh, savior of the Jewish people. So therefore he argued and he says that there was a Haman and then two and this Haman tried to start up with and uh, annihilate the Jews with Mordechai and, and all the Jewish people and we see the end that he had the bitter end that he had, and he had because he started up, and it is the children, the Jewish children, that they gave the uh, special merit and the special privilege for the Yidden to be strong and to uh, not allow uh, him to succeed. And of course, this was something that uh, this was something that they. Um, uh, didn't like to hear. And actually, after this talk, it didn't take, but a little bit later than that, they actually arrested the previous Rebbe. And to the extent that they were going to have him, uh, they sentenced him to a firing squad, and then eventually it was exchanged for labor, and then uh, for 10 years, for 3 years, and then eventually he left the country. But this is all Purim uh, Katan. So that level of is a very important message for us to know that the education and the uh, importance of giving you know as many children as possible. And as we learned this morning in the Rebbe's letters, uh, the Rebbe also said over there that um, in today's world, especially uh, when there's such confusion. Uh, people, uh, he quotes from the verse from Isaiah, from Yeshaya, in which people say, dark is light, light is dark. They're just so confused. And things that are going on in some of the educational institution, the uh, total lack of any boundaries and lacking any uh, any discipline, is, uh, uh, totally the immorality, the promiscuity that's going on. So the Rebbe says when you give children a Jewish education, not only are you helping them spiritually, but you're actually helping them physically. You're, you're helping them be mentioned, you know, helping them to become, to stay strong. So it's not only a spiritual, but also a physical. And, uh, and, and, and in those days, you see as well that the uh, level of the children, you know, when they came in and they... Uh, he was asking uh, the children, uh, Haman came in, the Talmud tells us, asking, what is your verse? 
And all the verses that they quoted him was that Hashem will protect them. Hashem will protect them. Hashem will avenge from those who are trying to do harm and bad to the Jewish people. And this is all in the merit and in the zuchus of the Jewish children. So that's something about uh, the seventh day, uh, the 14th day of Adar Rishon, and the 15th day, like we're today in between. Today was the 14th, tomorrow the 15th. So we we'll celebrate, we should be happy, we should be rejoicing. And, you know, it says actually in the Shulchan Aruch, it says, there's a question, do you have to make any special uh, parties or not? On, uh, and the answer is basically, if you have a question whether to make a party, go ahead and make it. Because a good heart is always partying. You always find a reason for a party. You don't make So something hard to do, you, know, you want to make a uh, fast day, so you have to have a very good reason and make sure if you want to make people uncomfortable. But if you want to make a, uh, a celebration, you want to rejoice, you want to sing and you want to dance, you want to celebrate, you want to make a good feeling. So if you have a question, go ahead and do it. So it's not a... Uh, so we'll take that uh, aspect and, and take the joy and the happiness and hopefully we can extend the joy and the happiness in our lives so that... You know, when good things happen to us, we're excited, we're enjoyed. What is good things people? Good things to other people. You know, some people need a shidduch, so they're happy when they have a shidduch. Some people like new furnishings, they get happy. Some people like money. They, so as long as you make Purim a happy time. So go out and give yourself something special. Buy yourself something new. Maybe uh, uh, do something good, something fun, something happy. Make this Purim a joyful one. Everybody should try and make themselves, uh, the day itself is a joyful one, but if it's hard uh, to make it joyful, do something for yourself, and that way you'll be happy, and then you'll be celebrating Purim, Shushan Purim. Uh, Maybe go for a vacation, go to Florida, (laughs) where it's nice and warm, uh, instead of one degrees this morning over here. So do something good for yourself, and Make yourself happy, and that's that's a mitzvah because you're celebrating, you're celebrating Purim. Whatever makes you happy, try to do that in a positive, in a good energy, and in a happy way. Okay, so that's as far as yeah. Go ahead. Did you? Say- so now we'll go over to the parsha, and we'll try to do a little piece from the first. So, of course, in this in this week's portion, we talk about the the terrible and. Uh, and the worst sin that the Jewish people committed, they made the golden calf. Now, you know, we also know the Midrash says that the Jewish people didn't really uh, deserve to do such a terrible sin. And it's, it's only sort of, it was uh, Hashem sort of did it and caused them. You know, we all have to deal with the Yetzer Hara, with our evil inclination. But most of the time, we have a choice because we don't have to listen to the Yetzer Hara. But sometimes Hashem makes it so hard for us, so we don't have a chance, we don't have a choice. So the Medrash says that God made it so hard for them, they didn't have almost a choice. They couldn't resist, not because they were at that level that they would make a, uh, a golden calf, but it was just beyond what they would normally do. They just did it 
Hashem wanted to show that they can do teshuva. This was the whole things of teshuva. So what happens? After the Jewish people made the golden calf, so we read in the Pasuk, and we read this on every fast day we read, Vayichal Moshe Hashem So Moshe was praying to God his God. And he says to God, Loma Hashem Why should your anger flare on your people? That you have taken out Meretz Mitzrayim with a great power and with a strong arm. So Moshe is saying, why is Moshe saying why? Is it not obvious why Hashem is angry? Moshe is saying to Hashem, why Hashem are you angry? What do you mean why Hashem is angry? Hashem has just told him uh, a short while ago, they got out of Egypt 40 days back, just 40 days before that. They witnessed the time that Hashem gave them the Torah. And the first commandment, what does it say? Anoichi Hashem elekecha. I'm God, your God. Lo You should not have any other gods. So why is Moshe praying to Hashem? They say, hey, God, Hashem, why are you angry? Of course Hashem is angry. They just did the committed the gravest of sins by denying Hashem's oneness. They went and they made themselves a golden calf and they said, this is your God. So is it not obvious why Hashem is angry? Rashi gives an interpretation. Rashi says, this doesn't mean why Hashem, like a question mark, oh, I don't know why Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu was actually saying to Hashem, why are you angry? Because a person, if you have two people who are both wise, so one wise person, you know, wants to show that he is wiser than the other person. Because they're both wise people. So one wants to show, oh, I'm a greater, I'm a bigger rabbi than the other rabbi. One wants to show that he knows how to learn more than the other person knows how to learn. So you have two wise people, two sages. So sometimes you can find that there will be a competitiveness between them. Who is greater? Okay. Or sometimes you have strong people. You want to know who is stronger. So one strong man versus the other strong man wants to know there is a competitiveness, there is a jealousy between uh, one and the other. But when it comes to a uh, Hashem, there is no competitiveness to him. There is nobody in Hashem's place. Why would you get angry? Why would you compete against these idols? The idol don't mean anything. And Rashi says, Klum that the only one who would be jealous or angry would be one wise person against another one. Or one strong one against another one. But why would you get angry an idol? What is an idol? Idol is nothing. An idol has no legitimacy, has no 
who cares about an idol? So why Hashem do you get angry? That's what he's asking. Why do you get angry? Not because why Hashem is angry, but he says the sin that they've done isn't really such a big deal. Because it's not really something which has any viability that has anything. As Rashi says, Klum is chochem bechochem giber begiber. Yeah, go ahead. I had learned that uh, the idol was not to replace God or to deny God's existence. It was to, quote, lead them in the desert to taking Moshe's spot. Uh, well, uh, that's true. That is some of the argument that the Pasuk says. But the Jewish people did say, Ela Elokecho Yisrael. This is your God, Israel. So they were leading, and yes, that's true as well. But yeah. also, they made this idol into an entity or some... But it's a it's a dead piece of gold. I mean, it's a it's 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 nothing over there. Or even Rashi says miraculously they put some life into it. But all in all, there's nothing really significant, and that wouldn't answer. And that wouldn't. I mean, that would also what to get angry. They're making another leader over there. What's the yeah. what's the what is this whole big thing now? It's actually interesting to look. There's another justification, which we read earlier in the Ten Commandments. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, it says, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am God, your God. Asher Sicha, that I've taken you out, Meretz Mitzrayim Beis Avodim, from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. Now if you see, this is all a singular. Uh, it doesn't say... Hashem is talking to all the Jewish people, right? And Hashem is saying to them the Ten Commandments. Why is Hashem speaking in a language of an individual? Like, I'm God, you're God individually. Why isn't God speaking them in a plural? I'm God, you're God. To all Jews. So Rashi says, why does it say, Rashi says, Hashem specifically do that to give Moshe an opening to find a defense for the Jewish people when they did the, the golden calf. This was sort of a built-in defense. Hashem is saying, and when Moshe Rabbeinu said, over here he says, why Hashem are you angry at your people? I guess what he's saying, why are you angry at them? You never told them. Told me, you only told me. You told me that lo uh, I'm your God. All in a singular one. You were telling, he said to Hashem, you were speaking to Moshe. So Hashem gave him that defense as well. So, we basically find that Moshe Rabbeinu is presenting Hashem with two defenses. One defense, Moshe Rabbeinu, Rashi brings down over here, he's saying, hey, it's really nothing to get angry about. Because it's really worthless. What is the idol? Idol doesn't mean anything. So no reason to get angry about that. And the number two defense, what Rashi brought down earlier, 
saying, well, you never told them not to worship idols. You only told me not to worship idols. So why are you getting angry at them? These are two defenses. The Rebbe explains that the first defense was meant for all the Jewish people. Which means in generally when we see that the Jewish people they failed they made a mistake they followed the uh, golden calf they worshipped it they believed you know we say they made a party and they said this is your God that was a mistake and Rashi said the defense of that is they weren't really commanded but the Rebbe explains in our Pasuk there is something much more going on uh, earlier before Moshe prays, what does Hashem say? Hashem says, let go of me. Let my anger flare on them and I will destroy them. Let my anger flare at them and I will destroy them. I'll make you into a great nation, but I'm going to destroy them. That is what Hashem is saying to Moshe about what he wants to do. He wants to destroy, let my anger flare. So, when you hear this kind of verdict, I'm going to destroy them, you would expect Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of starting off and saying, why Hashem are you angry? He should have started off and saying, don't destroy them, please don't destroy them. What's going on over here we find a lot of times penalties of the Torah. We find the death penalty of the Torah. And it's self-understood. People who commit a very serious crime get a very serious punishment. So that's not a question why Hashem. But here seems to be a special circumstance. Hashem says let my anger flare, and I will destroy them. What does destroy them mean? Destroy them means everyone. Because Hashem says, I'll make you into a great nation. It means, I'm going to do away with all the Jews. Number two, it's without a court. We're just going to destroy everybody. And number three means immediately. So basically, here the punishment that Hashem was giving all the time that we read before, a, it's the ones that deserve the punishment, they get punished, but the other people that haven't done anything don't get punished. B, most of the time we find there is a court that processes these punishments. And number three, it doesn't happen right away, so it takes some time. But here, Hashem says, I'll do it immediately. I'll do it without a court. And everyone, why is that? is because v'yichar api, because my anger will flare. So it seems like this was not just a punishment, but this was a punishment which got Hashem 
really angry. It was charein af. It got Hashem angry. So therefore, when Moshe Rabbeinu was praying, he says, he's not just asking Hashem, don't destroy them. He's saying, why are you so angry? Loma Hashem yechre apcha ba'amecha. Why Hashem is your anger so much? And basically what he's trying to say, because it is so invaluable, the, there is no substance, there is no reason, so what Moshe Rabbein, there's no reason to get angry. There's no punishment, yes, but it seems like your punishment is totally meted out, out of measure. In a very strong way, in a very inclusive way, in a very immediate way. Why do you get angry? Why are you so angry? Well, the truth of the matter is, as mentioned earlier, every Yid, every Jew, deep down, wants to serve Hashem. The only thing is, it comes out that externally, sometimes the Yetzir Hara gets the better of us and and forces us almost to go ahead and do things that we don't really want to do ourselves, but the Yetzir Hara does it for us. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, who is always defending the Jewish people, who is always looking for a way to find a zechus. And it's interesting to see that so many times we find people who are critical and find negative things to say about other people. I'm not even talking about Lashon Hara saying bad about other people, but here, look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Always looking to find an excuse, trying to find a uh, a rationale to calm and take away of the severity of the sin. Even Hashem Himself built in an excuse. That's from Hashem. Hashem says, Anoich Hashem specifically, to give Moshe an opportunity to find a defense. Why is it that we're so quickly to jump to judgment, we're so quickly jump to condemn, to think bad, to jump to conclusions about other people. Look, Hashem himself says, even the sin of Avodah Zorah, Hashem builds in defenses for them. Hashem builds in defenses because in the bottom line, it is only a mistake. Sometimes the Yetzirah gets the better of us and we fail, we make a mistake. But that's not really who we really and what we're all about. We always have to remember Moshe Rabbeinu, who's the real servant of Hashem, is always praying to Hashem, always trying to find 
some kind of a zuchus, a limut zuchus. And we know some of the greatest tzaddikim. And, uh, and the Rebbe would always take exception when people would try to justify Hashem for some of the things that are taking place. We're talking about the other day about uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, Hashem wanted to teach him uh, the Seneh. He wanted to teach him about the burning bush. So he says that he was afraid. He didn't want to look. Sages tell us he didn't want to know the reasons why Hashem does certain things. Because if we knew the reasons then maybe he wouldn't pray for the Jewish people. And sometimes we know the people, why people are suffering, why bad things happen to some people, why people are uh, having to deal with all kinds of situations. Uh, So, if we knew the reasons for Hashem, so maybe we wouldn't feel bad for those people, maybe we wouldn't pray for them. But Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to know because I want to pray for the Jewish people. He says, I want to. So, you see this real leadership. The Rebbe would not like when people would say, oh, the, deserved, the Holocaust came because somehow uh, the Jewish people weren't religious enough and that's why a million children were put so brutally to death. Rabbi says, where do you find it in your heart and in your mind and to go ahead and speak bad about the Jewish people when the prophet was saying, uh, he expressed, he says, I'm sitting amongst a defiled nation. Hashem says, remove, he says, he brought him a call to, to burn away the bad things that he just said. You can't speak evil about the Jewish people. By Chal Moshe, Moshe looked all the time to find a rationale, an excuse. So easy to condemn. It's so easy to speak bad. But that's not what Moshe Rabbein is all about. Let's do a few minutes from the next Sicha. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. It's a good, a good observation, a good question. But are you aware... The very last pasuk, very last verse of the entire Chumash talks about Hashem's greatest prophet and servant. Talks about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu passes away. Mm-hmm. And the final verse talks about the great Moshe Rabbeinu all the beautiful, great things, the miracles, whatever he's dead. And what are the last three words of the Torah? What chazak, chazak. That's not from the Torah, that's what we say. Lehenei B'nei Yisrael. What he did in front of the eyes of all of Israel. What did he do in front of the eyes of all of Israel? So Rashi says, he took the tablets and he broke them in front of all the eyes of Israel. Wow! Is that something we want to remember? Is that the last, the most important thing that he did? 
from Moshe Rabbeinu. Actually, you know, Hashem agreed. When Hashem says, write another set of luchas, He says the same as the luchas, Asher Shibarto. Asher Shibarto, that you have broken. So Rashi brings down from the Chazal, Yasher Koyach Sheshibarto. Hashem approved Asher. He approved the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu broke the Luchas. As you know, the Luchas was like the Ketubah, was like the marriage contract between Hashem and the Jewish people. So when Moshe Rabbeinu saw the Jewish people worshipping the idols, he didn't want them to be married or he didn't want them to be responsible. It's like a married woman is going out having a relationship with another man. But mm-hmm. the fact that there's no ketubah there, the fact there's no marriage contract, they're not engaged, they're not obligated. Mm-hmm. So Moshe Rabbeinu's mm-hmm. act was while you're saying, it took a lot of courage of Moshe Rabbeinu's to do mm-hmm. that. But that was Moshe Rabbeinu in defense of the Jewish people. That actually tells us the greatest mm-hmm. level. The Moshe Rabbeinu was even going to take the luchas. Exactly with all the elaborate uh, ideas that you brought out, how holy a Torah is, a chumash, and to take it and break it, the luchot, that Hashem, they were written with the finger of God, it says. And take them and break them, that takes a lot of strength. But to save the Jewish people, he did it. That is the greatest level. You see what a leader Moshe Rabbeinu is, that he gave up of himself in order to protect the Jewish people. Yes. So in a sense, yeah, if he was saying, well, God and the Jewish people are divorced, therefore... Or they're not married in the first place. Right. Or they were not married in the first place. He he was never going to give them the luchot. No. So that took an act on his part to be able to separate. And without, there's many other uh, interpretations, but Moshe Rabbeinu did not do this uh, out of anger, like he said. Didn't do it out of anger. He did it. And one matter, she says, they actually became very heavy. He actually couldn't hold on to them, and he just dropped it. But it wasn't an anger that he did it out of anger, but Rather, he um, did it for their protection. And Moshe Rabbeinu is one thing. uh, A lot of times we say in education, and uh, the Rambam writes about it, a lot of times a teacher, an adult, need to show Maybe that they're angry, but you're not allowed to act out of anger, which means can never act. A teacher can never act or react because they got angry. But that doesn't mean that a teacher cannot show sometimes an angry face or pretend to be angry, but not be angry in their heart. If you're angry in your heart, then you cannot. You cannot discipline, you cannot teach, you cannot guide the right way. That's just a reaction of your own lack of self-control. But if you mean the benefit of the child, of the student, the one you're trying to help because 
we're not we're assuming that you're not just meting out punishments or anger just because of your own bad uh, character traits or bad nature but you rather want to teach can't do it out of anger but pretend anger is not necessarily to try to impress on the student on the child that what they have done is so really wrong so you play as if you're angry uh, that's something which sometimes needs to be used so even Moshe Rabbeinu uh, maybe as it was taken by the Jewish people to show them how terrible what they did he went and broke the luchas but it wasn't an expression of what he really felt in his heart that there was anger in Moshe Rabbeinu's heart he maybe felt he had to do it he had to show it and had to present it that way. Okay, anyways, we've got a few minutes left here. Just want to cover a drop of the... This is in Kisisa 4. So, uh, so this is also the same subject matter. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was, after pleading with Hashem a little bit later on, Hashem says, okay, Hashem says to Moshe, go ahead, go up from here, from this position, you and the people that you have brought up from the land of Egypt. And you go lead them to the land that I've sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your seed, I will give it. So go ahead. So, what is the meaning, Hashem says, go up, leich alei. What does he say, go up from here? What does he mean, go up? Where is he going up to? So Rashi says, in one very simple interpretation, go up, Israel is higher, is at an elevation. So go up, because you're going to Israel, you're going up. So Lech is that go up from here. But Rashi says another interpretation. Rashi says, uh, Hashem says go up because previously Hashem told them go down. We learned in the Rashi earlier when the Jews made the eagle, Hashem says go, go down. And Rashi explained over there, what does it mean go down? Hashem says, look, the only reason you are special, that you have greatness, is because of the people. But since they have erred, you go down too. So it's basically uh, a slap for Moshe Rabbeinu himself, saying, go, go down. So now, after Hashem appeased, Hashem says, okay, go up. Leich alei, go down. Okay. So another second interpretation. What does it mean, he says, you and the people? You and the people. And Rashi says, Rashi implies that earlier he called the people Amcha, your people. As Rashi explained in several Rashis, that the real troublemakers in this whole things was the Erev Rav. Those were the multitude of people that came along together with, uh, with the Jewish people. When it came time to leave Egypt, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu allowed for several of the Egyptians, many of the Egyptians, to come along. They wanted to convert. 
And he didn't consult Hashem. On his own, he converted them, and he took them along. So over there, the verse says to Moshe, when Hashem was angry, upset with Moshe, he says, your people have corrupted. Kishiches amcha, your people. So Rashi explains, what does it mean, your people? Your people, meaning the people that you brought up, they're the ones that corrupted, and they corrupted others as well. So basically, Hashem was saying, they're your people, that you brought them along. So while before, Hashem calls them your people, because Hashem was angry with Moshe, because they are the one that caused this whole problems. But now, at this point, that Hashem is appeased, Moshe Rabbeinu prayed to Hashem. So Hashem tells him here, Go up the ha'am, and the people, not, and your people, the people. Because now, Rashi says, they're no more your people. They're just the people, because they're that includes everybody. And the Rebbe goes through a whole, a whole idea over here, that this was actually said to the people, specifically to the people that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, took in. And Moshe Rabbeinu sort of brought him up. Uh, Rebbe discusses about there is two types of challenges or evils that we have to deal with. Some of the evil, if they're not too bad of evil, we are able to elevate them. So we can change them around. But sometimes the only thing that you can do with bad, with evil, is just to push it away. Have nothing to do with them. But you can't actually turn it around. It's just too enmeshed. It's too far. It's too sunken into where it is. And there's no way to take it out. However, the one who could take it out is about teshuva. About teshuva, we know that when about teshuva, when they do teshuva, their sins turn into merits. So about teshuva can actually take things from the negative, from the bad, and make them into a mitzvah. And this is what Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to do, he was trying to take even the Erev Rav, even this multitude, the people that caused all these problems. Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem is telling him, you and the people will have an elevation. In other words, when the Yidin later on will turn around, that instead of doing Davodizora, instead of doing these bad things, they will change around and therefore they will have an aliyah. Even the people from the era of Rab, even those who were corrupt and corrupted others, they will have an aliyah too. And that's the job of Moshe Rabbeinu. In a sense, we can also say this is the job of that our Rebbe undertook to find those Jews that 
you know, make him to Baal Tshuva. So any Baal Tshuva that we talk, anybody who does Tshuva, but especially to find those people who are totally, that you can't, under normal circumstances, they're gone, they're far, they're way beyond help. And to go they ahead and turn them around, make them into mention, make them into productive, make them into servants of Hashem, get them to a level where they have, where you can be proud of them. That's the job of Moshe Rabbeinu. That these people, they become no longer blamed on you, but they're the people. They become integrated, they become part, and they become outstanding Jewish people that fulfill the will of Hashem. So, that's the job that we have to do in the last moments before Mashiach comes. And as we said, Purim is a time of redemption to bring us to the ultimate redemption, to Pesach, to the coming of Mashiach Tzidkenu Vimheri Vimeinu. Okay. So that's our shear, unless somebody wants to say something. No, Hope we learn. Yeah. A lot of interesting perspectives. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Brynan. And I just want to make a public uh, 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 what was that? The announcement. Next week, we're going to take a break. It's the school week vacation. And 